If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And while you're turning there, if you would, let's bow our heads. Uh, we'll say a word of prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. and We thank you for our time that we can be gathered in this place to worship you. Father, as we come together, we know that we have things in our hearts. We have things on our minds, Father, that, that we worry about, that we're concerned about. And Father, even though you tell us in your word to give those things over to you, sometimes it is very, very hard to let go. And so this morning, Father, I pray that we can have open hearts. I can pray, Father, that we can have minds that are clear to receive your instruction for our lives. And Father, may we give you everything that we're concerned about. And may you take those things and may you shape and mold us into the people that you want us to be. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for being the God of all comfort and comforting us in our trials and tribulations and in our suffering. And Father, we pray that all of those things will help each one of us to be stronger people for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. One of your greatest needs in life is to feel valuable. To feel that your life matters no matter what. That you are worthwhile. And so because of this, a lot of times you find yourself looking around and comparing yourself to other people. In our society, we tend to base our self-worth on a couple of things. First of all, we judge our worth by our appearance. How do I look? Because the better I look, the more I am worth in people's eyes. Then we judge our worth by our achievement. What have I accomplished? If I'm successful, then other people will take note of me and maybe even accept me. Then we judge our worth on approval. How well am I liked? If people like me, then I must be doing okay. I must be doing something right. Finally, we judge our worth on our affluence. Do I have enough toys? Do I have enough things around me? Do I have enough, we call it today, stuff to keep me satisfied? And if so, people will accept me as being equal with them. You see, the problem with those four standards is that none of them are stable. They come and they go. They all change. The trouble with letting things like these dictate who we are, it's never the same. But when we realize that our worth and that our value comes from our relationship with God, it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? To the point to where we really don't have to worry about those things that I just talked about. Because we realize we're worth something. We know we're special because we've been created by Almighty God. There's a story in Luke chapter 19, where a man named Zacchaeus really struggled in his day and time in society with how people viewed him. Now, obviously, he had made some 
pretty bad choices in order for that to come his way, and we're going to look at that this morning. We, we find ourselves in the city of Jericho. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jericho is the oldest inhabited city on planet Earth. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is the oldest inhabited city on planet Earth. As the archaeologists have done their work there over the years, they have unearthed over 29 different civilizations that one time resided in Jericho. I was there over 16 years ago, and I can tell you it is a beautiful, beautiful city. Jordan River runs through the town. It sets down in the Jordan Plain. It has this lush plant life, all this green grass and all the white buildings that you see in Jericho stand off in contrast to all the greenery. It's just beautiful uh, things that you see there in Jericho. Jericho was at one time a gift from Mark Antony to Cleopatra. I mean, what in the world do you give to a woman who has everything? Well, I guess you give her a city, okay? A city of import to Rome because of all the trade routes that went through there and the tax income that was available to Rome. Jericho in Jesus' day was a very prosperous city. Also, Jericho was important to Israel. Remember, it was the first city of conquest as Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the River Jordan. The very first city that they found themselves in uh, for conquest was that of Jericho. Jesus was in Jericho. I want you to think about that. And one of the things that you see ab above this story, it trails the story of Jesus who had encountered a blind man. I want you to look beginning in verse 31. He took the 12, I'm in chapter 18, verse 31. He took the 12 aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And I want you to, to listen to the description of the things that's going to take place in his life. They will mock him. They will insult him. They will spit on him. They will flog him. And they will kill him. And then on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples are hearing this. They're trying to soak it all in. But obviously, one of the things we know about the disciples, they're not the sharpest group in the bunch. They don't always catch on to that, okay? And so they don't really understand exactly what he's talking about. And so all of its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know, Scripture says, all that he was talking about. And so then there's this blind beggar that is receiving sight. As Jesus approached Jericho, there's this blind man that's sitting by the roadside, and he's begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what is happening? I mean, what's all this commotion that's going on here? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is here. Jesus is not only here, but he is passing by. Okay, He is in our midst. And so he called out, Jesus, because you know he had heard all these things that Jesus could do. He had heard all these things that Jesus had already been doing. And so he called out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you realize something in scripture? Those who really want to get to Jesus, they don't let anything stand in their way. They don't let people 
They don't let circumstances. They looked at the people there that were trying to rebuke him and say, hey, you get out of the way. You may not need this man, but I need him desperately. Hmm. What a great example. Are you and I willing to do that? Are you and I willing to go against all odds and do everything in our power to get to Jesus? Will we in everything that we can in our power fight through the crowds, fight through the commotion just to see Jesus? Jesus stopped and he entered. He ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I just want to see. Wow. Can you say that this morning? Lord, I just want to see. I just want to see you more clearly. I'm tired of the mess. I'm tired of life. I'm tired of all the things that's blinding me. I just want to see you. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. They were probably the ones that were in the crowd trying to distract him. They're probably the ones that were in the crowd trying to de detour him to go somewhere else. But when they saw that this man was not afraid to praise God, do you see how contagious it is? Even one minute they rebuke, and the next minute they're saying, hey, maybe we too need to do what this guy's doing. Maybe we need to praise God. Church, maybe what you and I need to do is in fact of the, of the things that's going on in our life, despite the fact there may be distractions Maybe what you and I need to do is just worship God. Just worship the Creator. And maybe when you just worship, maybe it'll be contagious for somebody else to just say, you know what, maybe what I need to do is get focus off of me and just worship and praise God as well. What a great example here of I just want to see Jesus. And I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. And so then he enters Jericho. The only reason Zacchaeus hears about Jesus is because Jesus makes the first move when he entered Jericho to pass through. And you see this story of Zacchaeus and Jesus is really a story about two different kinds of of collectors. I want you to look in verse 2. There was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So here's Zacchaeus collecting taxes and then look down in verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. You've got Zacchaeus on one hand taking people's money, and you've got Jesus, on the other hand, coming to offer them salvation. What a grand difference on the scale. 
I'm taking your money, and by the way, I'm going to cheat you as I do that. And here's Jesus on the other scale saying, I'm offering you something that you really can't say no to. It'll make your life remarkable. Bible tells us Zacchaeus was a tax collector. His name actually meant pure or just. And don't you know that as his parents named him that, obviously they had in their mind, we want to raise a boy that's going to be pure in everything he does. Now don't you know they're setting back now very, very disappointed in the kind of lifestyle that he's living. But hang on, it doesn't end there. And so this transformation of Zacchaeus who made his riches exacting money from his fellow countrymen was a sight to behold. I mean, he made obscene money. He was filthy rich. And if the job did not make him notorious, his height made him famous. He was the talk. He was the joke. He was the scapegoat of all the residents of Jericho. You see, he worked for the enemy. He worked for the Romans who were bent on destroying their way of life and then would tax them in order to pay for it. But Zacchaeus had a big problem. He hadn't made any friends in doing his job. And so he goes around and I mean, he thinks that he is just doing life and living life just in the grandest way that he can. I mean, he had everything imaginable. He was as wealthy as anybody there. He had it all and then some. He was rich. Or was he? Had he discovered that the more that he accumulated, the less satisfaction came? Was the emptiness beginning to take its toll on his life? I mean, what would prompt a wealthy Jew to go climb a sycamore tree? I mean, it's almost unthinkable that a wealthy Jewish man would run and climb a tree. But you know what? I think it says something about how they felt about Zacchaeus. They wouldn't let him through the crowd for anything. And so he goes against the culture of his day, and he climbs a tree. But maybe, maybe as we see him doing this, maybe it gives us a clue to how empty and how lonely and how unsatisfied and how unfulfilled he was. You see, here's what I think he's beginning to realize. It's one thing to hear the stories of Jesus. It's altogether something different to see him. It is one thing for you to just kind of go through your Bible and look at all the great stories of Jesus. And they're all great, amen? But as you're reading those great stories of Jesus, are you really encountering a relationship with him? Are you really coming face to face with who he is and who he wants you to be? That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we walk away and say, you know, this is more than just a great story, folks. This is a way of life. 
This is transformation. This is Jesus saying, here is what you too can be a part of. Here's what you too can have in your life. So he wanted to see, verse 3, who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, fights his way through the crowd. He climbs a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, when Jesus reached the spot, it says, he looks up and he says to him. And I want you to notice this. Jesus not only sees Zacchaeus in the tree, but he knows him by name. Remember last week? Jesus went up to Simon and said, hey, I need your boat. And he climbed in the boat with him. Peter really didn't have a choice, did he? Here he is in a boat with Jesus. What do we do? One of the greatest stories ever. Jesus was concerned about him. Okay? He wasn't just concerned about the crowd, but at that point he took notice of just Simon. Right here, he's hearing about Zacchaeus, but he wants Zacchaeus to know, I know your name. I'm telling you, church, that meant the world to a guy like Zacchaeus. That meant everything to him. And so he calls down, he says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down immediately because I need to go to your house today. Man, don't wonder what you wonder what's going through Zacchaeus' mind before he starts climbing down that sycamore tree. I'm in trouble now, or I've really done it, I've really messed up. I mean, what do you think is going through his mind? What do you think is going through the mind of of the crowd. Well, look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Now, I know you can do this because I've already heard you do it this morning. I want you to start muttering right now. Go. Oh, come on. You're in church. You can do better than that. Mutter a little bit. Now, that was pretty weak, church. That's what was going through the crowd, but it was probably, the volume was probably pumped up a little more than that. Here's this respectable Jewish rabbi wouldn't be caught dead in a tax collector's home in their day. And so look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, and says, he has gone to be the guest of a, say that with me, sinner. Good job. Little kids can say it. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I think an important thing to see here, both Zacchaeus and Jesus are searching for each other. And when it comes to this issue of us searching for God and God searching for us, the Bible is very clear 
that it is God who initiates the search. You remember back in Genesis, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned, it was God who responded first. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? It was God who initiated that search. And it was God who responded first to Moses by appearing to him in the burning bush. And I think what we see is this. What is true in the Old Testament is also true in the New. God makes the first move when he sent Jesus into the world. And when he sent Jesus into the world, he was thinking not just of you. He's thinking of everybody. The whole wide world. And I want you to look at verse 7. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I don't know how much time transpired between verse 7 and 8. I'm not sure what the conversation was like. I don't know what all was shared between them. But I have a feeling that when you're in the presence of Jesus, when you're in the presence of ultimate love, I have a feeling that you are the topic of conversation. I have a hunch that says that Jesus talked to Zacchaeus about Zacchaeus. What do you think? To the point to where when you see verse 8, Look at the transformation that takes place. Stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything which he had, I will pay back four times the amount. It appears that Zacchaeus had been changed by the presence of Jesus. You and I and our very lives will be changed every time we're in the presence of Almighty God. Because when we find ourselves in His presence, we can't help but realize, I've got some things in my life that I need to rearrange. There are things in my life that I need to change. And so here was the chief of the IRS way back in Jesus' time who was converted to Christ. Now that's good news, isn't it, church? And I love this story because of the fact that no matter what position or what status that you think you have, conversion must always take place within you. Now let that soak in for a minute. No matter what position or status you have, being converted, being in a state of conversion to Jesus has to take place within you. It takes place within the heart. And so this story gives us a picture of a complete about face 
180 degree turnaround after his encounter with Jesus. Jesus said to him in verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He's looking for Zacchaeus and he's looking for us to give us two things. Number one, he's looking to give us salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house. You and I can know right now if we're in a saved relationship with Jesus. Isn't that a great feeling? We can know that. Then the second thing, he's looking to give us an ongoing personal relationship with him. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I need to go to your house today. And as we look at this story, it ought to remind us what the mission of God is all about. The mission of God has always been and always will be about seeking and saving that which is lost. Church, that's our mission, amen? Not to please self, not to do things to please us, but our mission. You notice here, Jesus didn't let anything get in his way of delivering his mission to just one more person, Zacchaeus. Today, he says, salvation's come to this house. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You see, Christianity is not about keeping a bunch of rules. Christianity is all about relationships. If you think about it, Jesus broke a lot of rules that day. Zacchaeus broke even more. But he fought his way through the crowd. He climbed the tree. And Jesus went to him against all odds and said, You, Zacchaeus, need to come with me. Don't reduce Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Realize that Christianity is all about a relationship between God and Jesus and His Spirit with you. Period. Can I get an amen? And when you and I start trying to keep rules that aren't there, when you and I try to do things in our life out of the will of God, out of his grace, out of his mercy, out of his love, wow, that's not a place that I want to be. Zacchaeus knew that life. But Zacchaeus said, I'm tired of living that way. And I'm ready to give everything to you. So I ask you this morning, what about you? What are you willing to give to the one who gave all to you? Zacchaeus had to make a decision. He could stay in the tree or he could come down. 
he came down and went to Jesus. And you and I can do the same today. Let's stand as we